the Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie This morning we will be talking about male suicide and why men need to talk more at what is a very dark time of the year for all concerned. Our text line, if you'd like to make a comment, is 086-1800-658. Brexit also on the agenda this morning after what appears to be a chaotic day as both the EU and the Irish government outline their contingency plans. But we're going to start this morning with developments in Drogheda. On Monday we heard that a suspected bomb, icebox bomb bound for Drogheda was seized in Navan and the Army Bomb Disposable Unit dealt with that. Yesterday two suspected pipe bombs were discovered in Mary Street and €100,000 worth of cocaine was seized in Moneymore. Joining me to discuss the latest developments in the ongoing feud in Drogheda is Richie Culhan, councillor, of course, on Louth County Council for Fine Gael and a former Garda detective. Good morning to you, Richie. Good morning, Carl. These are worrying times, getting more worrying by the day, Richie. Well, you know, this is something that we're now almost becoming used to, and I hate to say it, that uh, people at Drogheda are becoming used to, you know, the fact that we're waking up every morning and we're hearing about these uh, devices that have been found uh, in relation to this feud. <clears throat> However, you know, it's it's gratifying to know that, uh, you know, the Blancardish Yacona are actually finding and locating these Devices, yeah, which are obviously destined to cause murder and mayhem uh, around around the town, uh, and being used by one one of the, or perhaps even two of the of the the, the feuding gangs. Um, these two devices that were found yesterday in St Mary's on the grounds of the of the of the, the church um, were viable. Um, the EOD dealt with them, and of course. Um, this was an intelligence-led operation. It was obviously, which is being very successful uh, for, for for the force at the moment, and uh, Operation Stratus, which is one that was um, initiated to deal specifically with the gangs that are involved in this feud in Drogheda since last July, or even prior to that. Um, <clears throat> so it's it's working. It's obviously working. And, do, do, uh, we, do we know, Richie, were they stored there, or were they left there to be set off there? No, they would have. They would have been stored there. It's my information, and they would have been stored there to to be used um, at some other location at some at some point in time um, over the over the course of the next uh, number of days. However, as I said um, last week, when I met with um, our, our with, uh, Fergus O'Dowd um, and the Minister for Justice Charlie Flanagan and um, Councillor Oliver Tully, we met with Chief Superintendent Mangan and Chief and Superintendent Andy Waters in Drogheda. And they assured us that uh, this Operation Stratus, which, as I said, is designed specifically to deal with the feuding gangs in Drogheda, um, that 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 would be intensifying. And obviously this is the fruit of their work um, at the moment now, where they're discovering, whether it be drugs, guns or explosives, and they're making substantial arrests in relation to this feud, which is what that uh, Operation Stratus was designed to do. Um, I know that... You know, at their disposal in Drogheda and Garda Shikana have a number of national units that are available to them and have been made avail- available to them by Commissioner Drew Harris and by the Minister of Justice uh, to, you know, I suppose carry out surveillance on these individuals that are involved and hell-bent on causing mayhem within Drogheda. However, <clears throat> if I could just again, and I mean, I know I always do this when I'm on this show, is to appeal to the members of the public to come forward. To, that they, they are the eyes and ears of Angerda Shikana. We want to rid our town of this uh, blight 
on our society and our children. We want to get rid of these individuals who are giving our town such a bad name, um, just a few of them. And they're endangering you know, many of the citizens of this town and, of course, intimidating many of them also. So we want to get rid of these individuals. And the only way that we would get rid of them, they would, we would get rid of them all right, you know, with intelligence operations such as that one that was carried out uh, that retrieved those uh, viable devices in, in Mary Street. But we will get rid of them with the help of the people. The people of Drogheda will get rid of these people because there is information out there and people have information and they may be afraid to come forward with it. But all it takes is a phone call, whether they want to call uh, somebody that they trust, if they want to call a priest or they want to call uh, the confidential line uh, in Ungarish in Connor to give that information. And are you confident, Councillor, that the resources will be available to the guards after Christmas? Because we had... Uh T.D. Fergus O'Dowd on yesterday and he was saying that there is a worry that those resources will be cut. Look, as I said, we met with uh, Charlie Flanagan, the Minister for Justice, last week and um, <clears throat> he assured us that you know after Christmas, while our numbers may be cut, he, we will still have the resources and Gareth Shikana will still be given the resources. From a national perspective, as I said, there are many national units that have been afforded uh, to the Chief, Super, Chief, Chief Superintendent Mangan and Superintendent uh, uh, Andy Waters, um, you know, to help them in this in this fight against these two particular feuding gangs. Uh, <clears throat> so I, I'm confident that while we may not have all of the guards that have been sent here, i.e. 18 guards in the last uh, month, um, after Christmas we will have a percentage of them and can people um, can people feel safe on the streets of Drogheda between now and Christmas Day? Well, if you look at the successes that the force are having at the moment, they're obviously targeting uh, these individuals, and I've absolutely no doubt whatsoever that by targeting these individuals, many of them will be taken off the street. Um, this is not going. This hasn't finished this this feud, and it is by no stretch of the imagination finished. Because you know there's there yeah, there's a quantity of drugs or there are viable devices found. But but the heat is on. The heat is on, and the pressure is on these individuals. And if they're out there listening to this at the moment, uh, I would say to them, you know, be very afraid because um, this will be a relentless campaign against these individuals. You know, who if they decide to go down the line of uh, planting bombs and uh, causing mayhem within Drogheda they will certainly be targeted and they will be dealt with in the severest way. Councillor Richie Culhane, as we said, a former Garda detective and a Fine Gael councillor on Louth County Council, thank you for your time this morning. We will be back, I have no doubt, to this story probably tomorrow and definitely between now and the, the new year, this story is going to dominate many of the headlines in the area. Dominating the headlines in the papers this morning is the no deal, as it appears to be Brexit, and you will see all across the media, newspapers, television, radio, internet, Reports on the uh, release yesterday by the government of their contingency plans in the event of a no-deal Brexit. Simon Coveney Tanishta has said this is a stark and sobering document, and it is to say the very least. Joining me now to discuss this is Marion Harkin, independent MEP for Midlands North West constituency, and McCarthy Sinn Féin MEP for the Midlands North West. Good morning to both of you. Good morning. Marion, can I start with you? This appears to me, as, as a, an outsider looking in, to be absolute chaos. Well, when you read the document, it's certainly sober and sombre reading. And, I mean, the Commissioner is saying that the measures they're putting in place are simply designed to, if you like, um, mitigate um, the worst and the most 
severe consequences of a withdrawal without an agreement. And there really are damage limitations. And when you read through the proposals that are there and everything from citizens' rights to social security rights, and that means people moving from one country to another who've worked in in EU countries or worked in the UK in this case, and what kind of rights they have, whether it's pensions or maternity benefits, to air transport, to road haulage, which of course is hugely serious for Ireland, and to customs and and exports of goods. Um, It gives you... um, how can I say, a a pretty bleak picture of what might uh, occur and the kind of awful catastrophic uh, consequences that could follow from a no-deal Brexit. Matt, can I just say to you, I'm I'm looking at the reports this morning and, and there are so many things that would worry the ordinary man and woman in the street short supply of medicines if the UK becomes a third country, uh, checks on livestock, live livestock coming in and out of the country. A hard border seems inevitable if all of this goes ahead. But one of the most worrying things of all, I think, is that 99 days away from Brexit, the vote in the UK Parliament is on the 14th of January. The doll is going to go on holidays until the 15th of January, which I'll come back to in a second. But there are 45 pieces of legislation that have to be passed through the doll in the event of a no-deal Brexit. Yes, Carl. We've known from the very outset, uh, almost as soon as the referendum results became known um, in London over two years ago, that Brexit was going to be damaging for Ireland. And the truth is that any Brexit is going to be bad for Ireland, even one that incorporates the withdrawal agreement that had been signed off by the negotiators. So... The natural outworking of that is that the harder the Brexit, the worse the consequences would be for Ireland. And regardless of the political makeup of our own island, um, Brexit was always going to be damaging. Britain is our largest trading partner. It stands between us and the rest of Europe. We have what some euphemistically describe as a shared history. Um, I think that's putting too kind of a spin on it. But all it was always going to be a case that Brexit was going to have damaging implications. The very fact that we're dealing with a relatively small island with just over 6 million people living in a country that is faced with the prospect whereby one part of our country will remain in the EU and another part will be dragged out makes all of those issues that would arose anyway even more complicated and more potentially damaging. So we're in a, absolutely um, a difficult period of time. Obviously, we still need to continue to work to try and avoid that no-deal Brexit, but we do need to put in place, and I think that's what this process is about, putting in place as much protections and as planning as possible to avoid the worst excesses of the damage that could be caused in the event of a no-deal scenario. And, of course, that needs to incorporate how we protect um, the North, knowing that if we don't, the implications for the rest of our country are actually going to be um, compounded also. So regardless of what happens, the agreement that was made this time last year, you'll recall, actually envisaged the scenario where there could be a no-deal scenario. And even in that instance, the British government agreed to a backstop scenario. Now, whether or not they're up to delivering upon that agreement is questionable and arguably unlikely, considering that it's that backstop that has caused 
some of the consternation we've seen in terms of the opposition at a Westminster level. So I think what the papers have shown is that there is a lot of work to be done in terms of that preparation. You've outlined the legislative work that needs to be done and the um, protections that need to be put in place. Um, But we can only hope that the papers that we've seen coming from the British government, the European Union, and now our own paper in relation to a no-deal are, are a worst case scenario that we can avo- we can avoid them. Marion, can I ask you? Do you think there is any likelihood of Theresa May? I know she she survived the vote of no confidence last week. Is there any chance of her getting this vote through on the fourteenth of January? Well, uh, my answer to that is, I suppose there's always some chance, but I think not. Um, even with all of what's happening, I mean, as I said. Uh, We had the document from the Commission yesterday uh, outlining how they are going to uh, deal with some of the most severe consequences of this. We have the Irish government publishing a document and we have the situation where there's talk of the army being um, used on the streets of the UK. Now, businesses have already been speaking to MPs, uh, various interests, etc., who understand what an ordeal Brexit uh, could mean. And they have put significant pressure on their MPs. But I still believe that um, that that will not be sufficient, that Theresa May will not get the numbers. I mean, look at her no-confidence vote. Over a hundred of her own party voted no confidence in her. That means no confidence in her deal. And they're, they're not going to support the vote, are they? I can't see that. The DUP have said they won't do it. And, of course, I don't see, uh, even if there is a split in Labour, I don't see it of the magnitude and the size that will make a difference. But I suppose one of the things I would say to you, Cahal, that really put a shiver up and down my spine was reading what the the commission said in its document. I'll just read one sentence for you. Uh, It says, Member States must take all necessary steps to be in a position as from the withdrawal date in case uh, the withdrawal agreement is not ratified to apply the Union Customs Code and the relevant rules on indirect taxation to all imports from and exports to the United Kingdom. Matt, that has to mean a hard border. It is, unless we do something to prevent us, because we know... What what can we do at this stage? There are 3,500 troops in Britain already on standby. We are going to see troops back in Ulster. Well, that would be a catastrophe in relation to not only the natural and obvious economic impacts that that would have, but the social and political repercussions we know would be severe. We have said very clearly from the outset that the primary objective needs to ensure that we don't see any hardening of the Irish border, that we don't see any physical manifestation of that border, known as we do that partition has been hugely damaging to our country, that it has prevented us from reaching um, our, full, um, um, our, our full potential as a people, north and south, and 100 years on from partition, it's clear that it hasn't worked. And now 
the Brexit has um, result has compounded that and has also compounded the very undemocratic nature of partition because let's not lose sight in all of this of the fact that the people of the North voted to remain part of the European Union when they've been asked through opinion polls and through surveys um, in the time since support for remaining part of the European Union has actually increased now all the at, at the same time the position of the DUP has hardened which is deeply worrying but if there has been a positive it has been that we've seen businesses and farming and other organizations the community sector and others reinforcing the position of the electorate in terms of re- the need to remain part could of your could your MPs so not take the, could your MPs Matt, not take their seat in Westminster and scupper this completely for Theresa May that was even a likelihood then perhaps we could d- discuss it but the truth of the matter is Would you be prepared to discuss MPs, it? No, because Sinn Féin MPs were elected on the premise that they wouldn't swear a note of allegiance to a British monarch We've he- We're here and having this discussion because of our frustration consistently of British interference in Irish political affairs I don't think it would serve any purpose for Irish MPs on the other hand then to interfere on British um, it might if it might if we're staring troops it might if we're staring troops in the, in the eye listen um, the truth of the matter is that seven Sinn Féin MPs will not make an iota of difference in the final outcome of this vote and what we need to concentrate on as we and Sinn Féin have been from the very outset is ensuring that the Dublin government has a robust and strong position. They have been brought to that point. Um, thankfully, that needs to maintain where the European Union remains steadfast in its support of ensuring that there is no hardening of the Irish border and where the British government live up to their own statements in relation to Brexit from the outset where they didn't want to see um, allegedly any hardening of the Irish border. So all of those political decorations now need to be put in place. And, and do you think, do you think, do you think that, part do you think this will help the United Ireland cause? It's not, no, it, it, it's not that it will help the United Ireland co- uh, cause because I uh, passionately want to see a United Ireland, but I want to see that United Ireland happen in a planned and managed way. The truth of the matter is that a no-deal Brexit scenario will probably accelerate and, um, and bring forward the time frame for a United Ireland poll because I think people in the North um, would want to have an opportunity to decide what union they want to be part of. Do they want to be part of um, a United Kingdom so-called that is in absolute disarray or do they want to have their livelihoods protected insofar as possible by remaining part of the European Union and the only way they could do that in that scenario is through United Ireland. That's not the mechanism by which I want to see United Ireland brought about but it may be the option that's before us and it must become part of the planning for a no-deal scenario. But for all of that, we still have a responsibility, we still have an obligation to avoid a no-deal scenario under any circumstances because we know that the people in our counties and the three of us from Loud, from Monaghan and from Sligo are all from the counties that will be on the front line in terms of the damage that will be caused by a no-deal Brexit. So we have an absolute responsibility to try and ensure that a no-deal scenario is avoided. And part of the reason why we've seen all of these documents being, um, being published as well as putting in place the planning framework for dealing with a no-deal scenario is to put in very stark term to the people of Europe, to the people of Ireland and also to the people of Britain what a no-deal scenario um, will envisage. And we can only hope that that concentrates minds in the weeks and months ahead. Mar- Marion, can I come? Can I come back to you for a second? Will actually avoid that potential. Marion, can I come back to you? What, what what reaction are you getting on the ground to this? Well, I suppose the document has only come out yesterday, and uh, I was listening to 
uh, the Minister this morning uh, about the fact that Ireland itself has no plan in place as far as the border is concerned uh, for a hard Brexit. And I think today... Is, 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 that, is that responsible to have no plan in, in place for a hard Brexit? Well, I'm not going to answer for the government, but I will give my opinion. Uh, they have said, under no circumstances will they envisage a hardening of the border. I agree with that. I'm sure Matt agrees with that. And in that context, um, they are saying we are not putting any plans in place to, to deal with that. On the other hand, there is a contradiction because they're talking about upholding the rules of the customs union, etc. Uh, after the vote in the House of Commons, there will be a lot of hard talking and hard negotiation to be done. But my opinion is that uh, we, we can't uh, at least be seen to plan for something that we say we will not accept. And I fully support the fact that they're saying we will not accept this. But an interesting point is, and you were talking there about a united Ireland uh, or the possibility of with Matt, that the DUP, who have said, uh, up to now at least, that they will not support Theresa May's deal. By doing that, by ensuring that the deal is voted down, that means that the likelihood of a hard Brexit is much higher. Though I have, I've always said, I, I don't think it will happen. No British Prime Minister will jump off that cliff. But coming back to it, if they vote against Theresa May's deal, by doing that, they increase the likelihood of a hard Brexit, and I believe would increase the likelihood well, of a border poll and the real possibility of a united Ireland. Well, there is so much, much there is so area. much, Marion, to run on this, and we are going to have so many stories to cover on this between now and the 14th of January when the British Parliament will vote. Our thanks to Marion Harkin, Independent MEP for the Midlands North West, and to Matt Carthy, Sinn Féin MEP for the Midlands North West region. We will be back with you after this. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. LMFM. This is the Michael Reed Show. You're welcome back. 086-1800-658. As always, our text line. We are also on Twitter at LMFM Radio and across WhatsApp. If you would like to make a comment on any of today's issues, please do so. Marie will be in studio with me shortly after 10 o'clock to go through your comments and texts. Good news for consumers after a bill was passed in the Dáil yesterday to give gift vouchers a five-year expiry date. Cabinet ministers have approved this. Dermot Jewell is the policy and council advisor with the Consumers Association of Ireland. Good morning to you, Dermot. Morning, Carl. Good to see we've, you. We've discussed this issue on this programme before, and at last, there's good news. Yeah, you're entirely right. It's great news. Um, in the sense that, as you said there, the, the bill that was originally was proposed, believe it or not, in 2015, um, for a variety of reasons, never got anywhere. Um, in the last 12 months, we've been trying to lobby, as have a couple of others, um, to get some sense around this. And finally, a bill has been pushed through which is not entirely complete, but let's stay with the positive. There's The idea is that um, by, by certainly by January, probably February, um, 
this bill will be in place. It will give a minimum, a minimum, which is at least uh, that's the lowest it can go, a minimum of a five-year term. Um, it won't require you. It, it will ban, if you like, the need for you to spend all. So let, let's let's money. say, for argument's sake, Dermot, I have a hundred euro gift voucher. Yes. For, for a shop. So under the new legislation, my rights are. Um, under the new under the new legislation, um, it will be valid for. That, that at least the next five years so you can spend it at any time over the next five years it'll still be valid and still be worth the money that was paid for it in addition to that you don't have to spend all of the 100 euro in the in the, in the first purchase you can spread your purchases out over five years at 20 euro a year so it really changes it and if if for example and it's only another example if for example when it was given to you as a gift, um, the, the person who bought it misspelled your name. Happens to me all the time, Dermot. This, this is, <laughs> it happens to me a lot, I can tell you. Um, but it, that too will be banned. So in other words, there's a mountain of positivity behind it, and it's great. The only area that's not being touched, and this is understandably from me, um, not, not a big surprise, are the fees attaching to gift cards, not vouchers and, and not credit notes, but gift cards, because fees apply to those after a year, um, which are for administrative purposes. So, Carl, as, we, as you say, as we mentioned before, the reason this is slowed down and stopped um, in terms of fees is because there has been a mountain of, um, I suppose, um, comment coming back from the business side, um, and they're 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 fighting tooth and nail not to have um, restrictions imposed on them because they see it as a, if you like, a normal course of their business. So, if you get a, a gift card for a hundred euros and you don't use it within the first twelve months or whatever, there will be a fee. This is it. There's a monthly fee that kicks in, and depending on where it is, it can be anything from one forty-five a month to as much as €3 Euro a month. Um, the, so it's quite a bit of money. The downside, of course, as well, is that if, if a business goes out of business, your gift card then, be, or your gift voucher then becomes irrelevant. This in, is in it. Many with a cases. voucher and with a credit note, if the business goes, um, so too does, does you know, the entire value, you're right, of anything that you're holding. This is the difference with the, with the, with the gift cards and it's why there is so much of a, a delay on it. Um, with a gift card... Um, it's not. It, they're insured. Is the best way of putting mm. it. So you won't lose your money. It's the uh, same. It's the same as a credit card value to hundred euro, for example. That's isn't it? exactly it. Yeah. yeah, and you're covered. And it's. it's Would you it's be confident covered. that will change in terms of the fees? Um, not so much, to be honest with mm. you. Um, I think there will there will be debate and there'll be discussion, and I'm hoping that at least the fees, rather than monthly, will become an annual um, reduced one. Um, but as I say, it's 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 all up in the air. I, I'd be honest with you again, and with listeners, I don't even know what they're proposing mm-hmm. um, on the business side. So we we need to sit back and see where this, where where it goes. And finally, Dermot, this kicks in after Christmas, doesn't it? It kicks in after Christmas. Unfortunately, um, I'm not sure if I would imagine business. Um, will look to the need for goodwill and the need to, um, if you like, attract um, a degree of positivity around us. So I'm hopeful, and oh, no more than that, 
that they will be, if you like, retrospectively applied. In other words, if you hold one, we'll, we'll value it for at least 12 months before. But again, we'll wait and see. Bottom line, as you say, right now, as we understand it, none of this is going to kick in until early next year. But it is good news. Dermot Jewell, Consumers great. Association of Ireland, a happy Christmas and thank you for your time. We'll be back after this. Michael Reed on LMFM. This is the Michael Reed Show. We're with you until 11 o'clock this morning, 086 1800 658. If you have a comment you'd like to make to us, a release from the Women's Aid Movement says that the Women's Aid 24 hour helpline will expect a spike in calls after Christmas Day from women experiencing domestic abuse. Joining me now to discuss this is Gillian Dennehy, who is the service manager with Women's Aid. Good morning to you, Gillian. Uh, good morning, Carl. A worrying time for a lot of women in Ireland at this time of the year. Indeed. Um, what we know is that you know Christmas can be a, a joyous time for a lot of people and a happy time and a restful time. However, domestic we know domestic abuse continues even at Christmas. It is an ongoing crime. You know, we know that women every day are living in fear in their own home um, from um, a current partner or even an ex-partner. Um, the statistic in Ireland is that one in five women. Um, will experience domestic abuse, um, and that includes emotional, financial, physical, and sexual abuse. That's a lot of women. That is a lot of women. I mean, our 24-hour national helpline actually receives an average of 50 calls a day. And that's why this year we're even open on Christmas Day and New Year's Day, because we know um, that women may need to speak to us at uh, at any day. And we want to be there for women. If anyone needs to talk to us about anything that's making them anxious, worried, or fearful about their partner. For a woman in an an abusive relationship, uh, Gillian, and and, and with young children, of course, Christmas is a time when access to the partner is important. Yes, definitely. Um, So Christmas is a very difficult time. And I mean, it can be difficult for anyone if, you know, you're uh, struggling financially. Right. But if you've separated um, from your uh, abusive partner, you may be on a single income and you have like, let's say, one or two or three or five children. Um, and you're struggling, you know, on that income, you don't receive, a lot of women we work with do not receive any maintenance from their ex-partner who is the father of their children. Um, Often they're dealing with a lot of loans. Um, So, for example, uh, you know, loans after maybe having to up, you know, uproot their whole life and leave their family home because it was too dangerous. So dealing with, you know, for example, paying storage costs. It could be in temporary accommodation, which often doesn't have a lot of facilities. So you're trying to, you know, pay for, let's say, get your washing. You know, you're actually even simple things like getting your clothes washed and dried because it might have those those things or might not have proper cooking facilities. You're paying for like legal bills as well because you might have had to go to court to get domestic violence orders or access and, you know, arranging access, safe access um, with the father of the children. So there's a lot that's going on. And abusers can use this time as well. So, for example, they, let's say they are giving uh, maintenance, they might start to withhold maintenance because they, you know, that's what they want to do. They want to constantly have control. So if that's the thing that they still have that link with that woman, um, like, you know, giving them maintenance, you know, they'll hold that back just to make, um, make life difficult for her and the children. And presence as well can be a way to control, you know. Um, so just, you know, maybe turning up unexpectedly, um, unannounced, um, and for some, you know, with presence and OK, look, if you are in a, you know, it's a non-abusive relation, that might seem like a nice thing. However, if you're fearful of somebody, you know, and you're being intimidated by someone and they turn up at your door unexpectedly with presence, that's actually quite intimidating and, and it can make your blood run cold. Like, why are they suddenly here and, and what and, do they want? And in some instances, know? these have turned to violence. Exactly. Yeah. You know, women have told us they just turn up um, and then it leads to, um, yeah, it can escalate to physical abuse. 
In your in um, your release, there's a story of Jessica Bowes. Can can, can yeah. you share that with us? Well, I wouldn't like to, you know, share. I mean, Jessica is an amazing advocate. Um, she's an amazing survivor. Um, and, you know, she went through um, horrific um, domestic abuse, controlling behaviour, physical abuse. And she's great. I, you know, I'd encourage you to get her on your, your show herself mm-hmm. because she's an amazing speaker. Um, and when she, you know, she separated, you know, from her ex-partner, she, you know, she was courageous. She was moving on with her life. Um, you know, she's two young children. Um, and I mean, like one day he just turned up, um, and I think it was around Christmas time, he just turned up at her door and assaulted her. T- Say that again? It was Christmas Eve, I think. She, sorry, yeah, yeah. The, the results of this that were on Christmas Eve 2015, she had reconstructed yes. surgery on her face. Yes, yeah. It was a horrific, horrific assault um, of her and her friend, actually, that was there at the time. Um, and, you know, he you know, he, he did serve you know, some prison time, but he's out now, do you know? Um He's out um, and, you know, there's still, you know, that fear, is he going to come back again? You know, that, that, that's, you know that's ongoing um, for her. Um, but, you know, she's an amazing, you know, av- um, advocate, you know, for survivors. And, um, and, and she's someone that can really show, you know, the strength that women do have and how they can move on. But also the dangers that they're, you know, living with because, you know, we, you know, women, when they leave, you know, they can't control and stop the abuse. It's only the abuser can do that or else the criminal justice system, you know, if that works in that way mm. you know? the good news and, and Jessica has highlighted this mm. herself many times mm. in the past but the good mm. news is there is help out there and there is support out there via yourselves yes exactly we're here we're here every day um, and we're you know women can say as much or little as they want you know we're just here to listen and to believe and to provide information and, and support um, for women every day how can um, there may be women listening who would like to get in touch and there may be members of the public who would like to support because I know yeah. at the moment you are fundraising aren't you Indeed, yeah. You can donate to Women's Aid at www.womensaid.ie forward slash donate. Um, you can also text ACTION to 50300 to donate €4 Euro to Women's Aid. Um, we also are currently recruiting for volunteers um, for our 24-hour helpline in 2019. So you can go on our website for that. The deadline is Friday the 14th of December 2018. And you can also, you know, our helpline is 24 hours. It's one 800 341-900 that's 1-800-341-900 and it is open for women experiencing domestic abuse but it's also open to anyone who has concerns about somebody like so family friends any professionals that they want to you know can call us up as well and speak I also just want to highlight that we do have a language line so if somebody does not speak English as their first language we also can arrange for an interpreter um, through our, our, our phone line as well and your service is open on Christmas Day we are indeed, and New Year's Day. We're open every day. Gillian Dennehy, Services Manager with Women's Aid. Thank you for your time this morning. We wish you a happy Christmas. We will be back after this. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. And good morning to Marie Cairns. Good morning to you, Paul. Lots of calls and lots of texts. Yes, people have been getting in touch. Can you hear me? Yes. Yes. That's, that's very You're important. Back. <laughs> that's very important. I, I feel like I sound funny, but anyway, <laughs> maybe I sound funny all of the time. Um, yes, lots of people getting in touch today, which is fantastic. Uh, first caller in touch regarding your interview at the top of the programme with uh, Councillor um, Richie, Richie Colhan in relation to those devices uh, found in Drogheda. Uh, the caller says that while it is alarming to have uh, the streets in Drogheda closed off due to Garda operations, it shows that the Gardaí are doing their job and that it's 
great to see Gardy, you know, the intelligence paying off and potentially saving lives. And long may this continue to happen. And finally, we'll get the streets back again. And that's twice this week now, in Navan on Monday and in Drogheda yesterday. Absolutely. Moving on then to Brexit. It really was like doomsday, wasn't it, today, looking at all the papers? Chaos. <laughs> it's just like no good news. Unfortunately, it's also Groundhog Day. Yes. Well, look, it's, Amanda... The story was, is, isn't changed. No, Amanda was in touch and says, wonders why we are going to suffer so much if there's a no-deal Brexit. Surely it should be only the UK that should have to face such horrible circumstances if there's a no-deal, because it's their mistake, as she puts it. Nothing to do with us. We're staying in the EU. And she feels it shouldn't be the Irish that's going to have to suffer. Uh, for their decision but unfortunately we're in the middle of it that's it uh, another Noel was contacted us to say how is the doll going to get 45 pieces of legislation through in such a such a short space of time that is less than 100 days now and especially when they're going on holidays as you mentioned Carl uh, so Noel is not too impressed with this and we're, we're not getting a month end. off are we for Christmas, I wish. I'm not going to complain because I'm getting a good, a good uh, few days off. So I'm not going to complain. To Absolutely, I really am. But definitely not a month. No. no. Uh, uh, Seamus from Dundalk phoned in, and Seamus says, "So here we are, Cahill, uh, where a no deal Brexit is looking very likely. Ireland is going to bear the brunt of this, and Seamus feels it was always going to happen. And I have to say, Seamus has been saying this all along uh, during the last couple of months when we've been discussing this. And his final words is that this is going to be a disaster. Margaret phoned in to say that she can't see Theresa May getting this deal over the line that there are too many against her and she doesn't feel that we are prepared in Ireland at all for this. Were we not expecting it? She's wondering. Uh, dear, another listener, no, Deirdre was on about the gift cards and I'll come to that later but just staying with Brexit for the moment um, we had Paddy in touch and Paddy says that he is getting very nervous and I think you're not the only one Paddy. Uh, he says that when you look at at the amount of things that's going to be impacted on if uh, the UK crashes out without a deal, that it really could have huge ramifications for Ireland and wonders how is the government going to cope with this? If we think we have problems now, what will it be like in another couple of months if we don't get this deal? 99 days today to the vote. That's it. And you know, it seems so long away when, when the initial thing started. Uh, but look, it's going to be something that we'll be covering again in the new year. Uh, but I'll just park it there for the moment and we'll move on, if I can, to some of the other comments. Uh, we had some response already to your interview with Dermot Jewell just regarding um, the gift vouchers and this new legislation that's going to be coming into effect but will not be in for Christmas. January, late January, February that's it right. looks like. Karen says about time there was some legislation to address the problem of gift vouchers. You pay money in good faith for vouchers and while there are many businesses she finds that do honour them, in other words, if you say, look, it's past mm. the year or whatever, uh, they, they don't really mind about the time span. But unfortunately, she says there are others who are rigid and won't bend at all. And some of them, she says, uh, would not even go over a day than what's on the actual voucher and thinks that's very unfair. Uh, Deirdre. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcomes the legislation. She thinks there should be no time limit at all on vouchers. And she says this legislation should have been brought in years ago. Uh, another caller, Ronan, wonders why anyone would buy gift cards or vouchers. He says that there's no way he would show commitment to companies that have no loyalty to their customers by pledging to spend money at their shops. Why not just give money? or a bit of thought and buy an actual present <laughs> this Christmas. But people do love the vouchers. I love to get a voucher myself and, and go down I, I, and be I, able to buy. And I know from, from, from personal experience at home that if, if you're buying a present for a child or whatever, you, you don't really want to give them cash. Some of the kids would be much happier with cash, but... Well, that's true. You know? That's true. No, my own dad is always insistent you get a present. Mm. It's nothing like opening a present. Uh, moving then to, we were covering Cahill during the week, uh, the eviction in Roscommon and the fallout from that. And we had a couple of interesting emails. Uh, uh, John from Navin says, Ireland fought long and hard to achieve independence and to be free from foreign domination, which lasted for centuries. What do we have almost a century later? Thugs hired by foreign banks driving Irish people off their own land. No wonder this behaviour touches a sore point with any decent Irish person. What do the government do in the meantime? Swap insults in the dial while Irish people are losing their farms and homes to foreign parasites. We also had an email in from Jerry, and I won't get to read all of it because it's quite lengthy, but he, I'll go through some of it. He says, a long memory can be a course, especially if those memories are tinged with bitterness. I'm now in my early 60s, so it is, but three generations since the era of mass evictions under British rule. Strokestown is one of those areas where three to four generations ago, evictions took place. Nowadays, the forces of the law and order stand idly by. Were the occupants assaulted? In my opinion, they were. Excessive force is assault. And viewing the video of the eviction, it appears to me that excessive force was used. We had a private security company from Britain evicting Irish people from their homes. How stupid can the banks be? Would a bank hire a German company to enter Poland to evict Poles, Serbians to evict Croats, Germans to evict a Jewish family in Israel, or Christians to evict Muslims in Kosovo? I do not condone the violence perpetrated upon the security guards, but I can understand it. Uh, he goes, I can't go into all of it, but he goes on to say the property is now damaged. What person in their right mind, even when repaired, would buy it? It is not worth a tuppenny dam to the bank. And there is various reports in the papers this morning where politicians occupied one of that bank's particular offices in Dublin yesterday and carried a coffin into it. 
Just moving then to your interview yesterday with local councillor Sharon Kyogen and Stephen McKee in relation to that meeting in Dulique, in Dulique which by all accounts it really was a packed house out there the that night, which sends out a very strong message. But Charlie from Navin was listening into that interview and he says, I mean, no disrespect to the councillors, but it really bugs him to hear councillors say, it's happening in every village and town because he, he says to say that almost seems like it's acceptable mm. that we should be accepting that this is happening in every village and town. It's like a throwaway remark and it makes it sound acceptable and it should never be. We should be shocked that this is happening if it is happening in every village and town. Uh, on the same topic, George got in touch to say that he admires the community in Dulique for being proactive and looking out for the young people. And we really have to ask the question, what is affecting our young people nowadays and that mental health is a huge issue and that there must be some reason that our young people are turning to drugs in such huge numbers. Jimmy contacted us and he says that the problems that you see in Drogheda, Dulic and throughout Ireland, he believes are the cause of a weakened family, a weakened society. And he feels that we have to look at where we are going in Ireland in relation to religion and our morality. He feels that uh, there's there wouldn't be a demand for drugs only for those people out there who are buying them. And another listener, Paddy, if I can go on just yes, another minute absolutely. or two, uh, says that every town and village in County Meath is destroyed with drugs and drug dealers who are driving their big cars and have never worked a day in their lives and believes now it's time for communities to rally around and support the Gardaí in their work that they are doing on the ground. And Paddy feels that this needs to be done urgently. As the people in the league are showing. Yes, so that's it. That's a flavour of some of them that have come into us so far today. And we'll be back tomorrow with more. We will, our final day. Final day, Christmas Christmas hats at the ready for tomorrow. I'll be wearing mine. We'll be back after this. Michael Michael Reed on on LMFM. And you're very welcome back to the Michael Reed Show with Cahill Dervin in for the rest of this week, all the little bit of it that's left. Joining me in studio now to discuss the proposal to change the name of Our Lady of Lords Hospital in Drogheda are two gentlemen from the Save the Name Committee. Bob McGuffin is the chairman of the committee and Kevin Bourne is the secretary. Kevin, if I can begin with you, first of all, you were surprised at this proposal to change the name of the hospital. Very much surprised, Carl. First of all, I'd just like to thank you for uh, having us on the show to uh, promote our... Um our, 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 sorry, Carl, just to promote um, what we have to say about this, uh, we strongly object to it. Um, it we had a uh, the, the meeting itself, we had a meeting in the Westcott Hotel uh, on Tuesday night, which was very well attended. And uh, we formed a committee, and we're now running a, uh, we're now running a um, petition in the town at the moment and the outlying areas. And we are also going to hold a demonstration and a rally on Sunday the 6th of January at 3pm in St Peter's Church, which I'd hope many, many hundreds of people, or maybe thousands of people at Drogheda will come out and uh, show their support. The name change was kind of sprung on everyone, you know, at the beginning of, September, at the beginning of December, early on, um, without any discussion to the townspeople or uh, public representatives. It's come from management within the Lord's Hospital, 
who, you know, at this stage have refused to meet us. They've refused to meet the, our representative, the mayor of Drogheda, uh, Frank Godfrey, who's uh, on many occasions attempted to meet these people. Um, we have no direct reason. I mean, the, 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 because we haven't spoken to management, we still don't understand what the reason is for it. You know, there's been, there's been certain things talked about that the name change will encourage uh, you know, more doctors to come from abroad. Uh, they're trying to associate the name with scandals that occurred in the hospital, which you know, really doesn't wash with anyone. I mean, a scandal, a scandal is a core. Changing the name is not going to make the scandals go away. Um, you know, scandals occur in many different parts of the government bodies and that. I mean, you know, if they want to run with this uh, proposal to change the name, you know, there's been scandals in the Garda Shia recently with, with, with Mr McCabe. You know, do we change the name of Angarda Shia Khanna? The, the town of Drogheda at the moment is having a rough time as regards to there's a lot of feuds going on with these drug things. So, you know, and it's getting bad publicity. So what do we do? Do we go and change the name of Drogheda then? You know, this doesn't wash with, wash with us. This hospital was founded by uh, Mother Mary Martin, uh, an absolute lady and, and someone um, who worked tirelessly on behalf of the people of Drogheda. Um, they're trying to erase our memory. They're trying to erase our history. It's, you know, my feeling, it's just a disgrace. This lady, at, uh, when, she was, when she was in the town... Sorry, yeah. this this lady. I mean, she was the first woman in the town to be presented with the freedom of the town by the mayor Peter Moore, and we we want we want to retain this hospital, and it's 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 in her memory to retain the name, not erase her history. She, Bob, if I can come to you, you're chairman of the of the Save the Name Committee. I mean, people will say that the name or Lady of Lords, the name, the hospital, it has been tarnished by the two particularly controversial uh, situations over the last couple of years. I'm thinking the scandals that it did rock Our Lady of Lords. Can you understand why people would think that a name change is a good idea? No. It's not the only hospital that had problems in Ireland and because it has a saintly name which is called after, after Our Lady uh, there's no reason to, to change the name. If you arrived in an ambulance with your arm hanging off would you refuse to go in because the name offends you? Mm. Oh, oh no, I'd, I'd rather be looked after. And well, the people of Drogheda, uh, people of Drogheda feel proprietorial over the hospital, don't they? I mean, th- uh, there was money raised in the past from uh, the people. Uh, uh, I'm 69 years of age. I remember all this more so than most of the young people in Drogheda would at the moment, and I'd like them to know that the people of Drogheda, there was what's called a, a buy a brick campaign by the people to help Mother Mary to fund the building of the hospital, and such a large hospital would never have been built in Drogheda. Uh, were it down to the HSE and at the time she was hailed by Liam Cosgrove and De Valera as being one of Ireland's who were the president of the Taoiseach and De Valera uh, actually made his way to Drada when he heard of our demise to sympathise with the medical missionaries of Mary there's absolutely no reason to change this whatsoever so uh, Kevin uh, to many people, Our Lady of Lords is the official title, but it's just known as the Lords, isn't it? It's 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 known as the Lords. I mean, and, and always will be. But the, the title, you know, Mother Mary Martin gave it the title. Um, the Lords. I mean, I, I don't really know where you're going with that question. I mean, it's known as the Lords, but the name is there. It is Our Lady of Lords Hospital, and it's something that the people. Like, I I can. But even if they change the name, will people not still just remember it and call it the Lords? 
No, no, this isn't an affront to, all, to, to Mother Mary Martin. This is management have to come out and, and state their reasons for it. They, they, I mean, they are public representatives and, and they're treating us with, with, with disdain at the moment. We cannot have a meeting with them. We're presuming people are coming on, on, on radio shows and, and writing in the papers, presuming this, that, and the other. I mean, you know, the scandals, they're trying to maintain that the people affected by these scandals. Um, want this name changed. Now, I have yet to hear of any victim state that they blame the name the Lady of Lords Hospital for, for their pain. And, you know, the pain and the damage was done to these people was caused by certain individuals and the management at the time who failed them. Now, the management are now trying to get rid of this name you know, and wash the scandals away. But you, where do you stop? I mean, you know, if, the, if, if the scandals are their main problem, you know, they're going to have to move on to St James's next. And then St. Vincent's. They're going to have to start changing the whole... There's scandals everywhere. I mean, it, it's not... It's a fudge. It's not an issue to go and change the hospital uh, the hospital name. I really don't know where they're coming from, and I would dearly like them to explain that to me. Bob? Yeah, I'd like to say to the management of Our Lady of Lords Hospital, you will be better uh, putting all your efforts into the running of the hospital and reducing the number of people on trolleys. And uh, I think it was last night I checked it out, and it's called Trolley Guard... Um, there were 14 people on trolleys at that particular time and they'd been on the trolleys for nine hours. And I also read the ICWA report on the hospital for 2015 and 16 about the hygiene standards in the hospital, which were absolutely deplorable. It was a spot check twice done by the ICWA. Now, they should put all their efforts into run the hospital. That's what they paid for with the HSE to do. To be fair, we don't have an opportunity to put that to the HSE this morning, so we, we, we'll no doubt come back to that in the it's, future. It's, but it's in writing. In this moment in time, you have had no response yet as a group from the no. hospital. No. And neither are our public representatives. Can I just say, I was out last night and I, I canvassed uh, approximately 90 houses last night with my petition. Five, in, five houses refused to sign it, okay? Six houses... On, on what basis? They just refused to sign and said, no, I, I'm not interested and just walked away. I didn't get into an argument. Mm-hmm. I'm not forcing this petition on anyone. Six houses were unattended. There was no one there. I got 70 signatures last night. And I got and what came across, I was offered help uh, with the petition. I was offered money, donations, which we are not taking up. And one of the main other uh, arguments, or people are actually extremely uh, annoyed about, is actual waste of money in rebranding a hospital. People, I don't think people understand. I conservatively, conservatively reckon it could cost between two, two to three million to rebrand that hospital. It's not just a matter of sticking the name up at the front of it. Uh, software systems have to be done. All the names which are attached to beds, linens, everything has to be rebranded. Rebranding is a very expensive job. Now, if management up there feel that they can afford two to three million for rebranding, it's but they answer. haven't told you. They or haven't told me. I'm, I'm concerned. That's my, that's my opinion. That's, yeah. But I, w- I tell you this: I would. I, it's, I think that's conservative, and, and that's Bob, be truthful. As chairman, what can you do next? What we need to do is get the people of Drada behind us and ramp up this campaign. Uh, no point in people saying, oh, I'm disgusted at this decision and so on. Get behind us and on the day of the march, on the 6th of January at 3 o'clock, be there with us. And if you can get a yellow vest, so be it. We're going to wear yellow vests. Have, have you been involved in a campaign of this nature before? Or is this something that's so annoyed you that you just had to get involved I am so annoyed I had to get involved mm. somebody said to me at the meeting the other said you don't live in Drogheda I said I left Drogheda but Drogheda never left me where do you live 
I live in Balbriggan. Yeah. Which is close enough to the hospital. People in Balbriggan, well, I was born yeah. and reared beside yeah. the hospital. So you have the a... The fact that I don't live in it. You have a vested interest. I have a fair history in Drada and I know most of the... We did, we did make contact this morning to ask the HSE what was happening. We got no response from them. Have you guys had any indication as to has the decision been deferred? Is it on the back boiler? Are they going to talk to you before they make a decision? Well, we, we, there was supposed to be a decision made last Friday at 4pm. Basically, that, that was there. That's the way they handled it. said, no ifs, no buts, it's going to be made. So This far, was in the letter to staff. This was in the letter to staff. And in the papers. Yeah, and the three proposed names were the University Hospital of Drogheda, the Drogheda Regional Hospital, or the Drogheda General Hospital. Yeah. yeah. If they called it Our Lady of Lourdes, Drogheda General Hospital, would that make would, a difference? I would have no, well, personally speaking, I would have no problem with that. So as long as Our Lady of Lourdes is, remains is, in the remains title. Remains in the name. To yeah. honour this, I mean, this, this lady did so much for the town and her medical missions are still doing it all over the world. Finally, Bob, the rally date, January the 6th. 6th of January. Sunday the 6th. Sunday the 6th. And if people want to get in touch with you, online, have you an online presence as yet? We haven't got an online presence as yet. I'm sure it's not too far I'll tell you, Frank Godfrey, Kevin Bourne, Bob McGuffin, uh, I mean, if you contact Frank, Frank Frank would be willing to help you. Bob McGuffin, Chair of the Save the Name Committee and Kevin Bourne Secretary, we thank you for your time this morning. We'll be back after this. Michael Reed on LMFM. And you're welcome back to the Michael Reed Show. Back in November, a young Rathoth resident by the name of Alice Ridsdale Dooner had a very lucky escape when she was attacked by a man with a knife. At a bus stop outside Blanchestown Town Centre, the bus stop serves the likes of Rathoth, Dunshockland, Trim, etc. The man tried to snatch her bag and her phone. Uh, she sustained a cut to her hand and luckily some people came along and the man ran away. But this only highlighted the issues affecting commuters who travelled to and from East Mead into Blanchetown Town Centre and also commuters from Rathoth who use the 105 which leaves Dublin outside Liberty Hall. At a subsequent meeting between the bus Aaron CEO Stephen Kent and local councillor Nick Killian and Gillian Toole, a decision was was agreed to move the stop in Blanchetown and also to change the route into Dublin. I'm joined now on the phone by Councillor Nick Killian. Good morning to you, Nick. Good morning, Carl. Happy Christmas to you. And to you. Good news for commuters. Yes, this is a, this is a good news story. Uh, to be fair, we met with Stephen the other day, Gillian uh, Toole and myself, and we had probably, I'd say, one of the most productive meetings I've had with Buff Erden in a long time. He was accompanied by the regional manager, uh, Adrian McLaughlin. And you know, the agreement, if he, this really is coming from the National Transport Authority rather than Buff Erden have had an involvement, as has um, Fingal County Council, because I also spoke to colleagues in, in Fingal County Council in relation to this. And what's proposed is that a, a temporary relocation of the current bus stop, which is on the, the westbound uh, ramp, um, will be changed in January and that will be located on the bus lane connecting from the roundabout outside the Crown Plaza to the Blanchardstown Road Junction. Which is a far more visible and a far more it's, accessible yeah, stuff. And it's very well lit. Now this is, as I said, very much a temporary situation. Um, it'll be put in place uh, in, in January and we'll position the bus stop in a location which, as you say, is, is, is visible and closer to the town centre. Now, Later on in the year, later on, because this all has to go through a process with Fingal County Council. I presume there are, there are planning issues, for example. Yeah. yeah, there is planning issues involved in this, and it has to be dealt with in an appropriate manner. And the potential location kind of is um, on the other on the actual other side of where this where the current temporary bus stop will be, and 
that will take place hopefully um, in the early month of 2019. I, I know Nick from, from living in the area people people don't like where that bus stop is at the moment. No and I mean I, I visited it myself you know, you know you drive past it and you, take, you pay no heed on it but I, I went up to have you know to actually have a look at it actually on, on Saturday evening mm. just to, because I knew we were meeting with um, Stephen Kent and uh, of Bus Erden. so just to see what it was and it, was, it, was, it wasn't easy for people who were there standing it was a, an awful lead it was lashing rain and it's it's not very it wasn't very well lit so and there's trees in behind so I can see where um, somebody uh, you know doing a what 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 they did to that uh, girl recently could jump out very easily and not be seen so hopefully. Uh, you know, everybody will keep their word and do what has to be done in January. And that is good news, as we say. Now, in, t- in terms of the, the pick-up location for Ruth Holt commuters in Dublin, that's going to change as well? That's going to change as well. We, we've had complaints, um, both Gillian and myself, from particularly from Ruth Holt users, and indeed I've, I've heard it from my colleagues in Ashburn and from people who use the, the bus, the, the 103, from Ashburn as well. Where it is in Beresford Place, which is near enough to um, Liberty Hall, Again, it's not the best lit location, but there's also quite an amount of anti-social behaviour in that area. As there, as uh, there is near Bosaris as well. Yeah, and and, and you know, it's it's not nice for people waiting, and particularly late at night with the, for the later buses from you know from eight o'clock on when the crowds subside. It's a, it's it's quite it's a, it's a lot quieter for for um, bus users. So what's proposed now is that it will go to George's Key. You know where the Ulster Bank. Mm. Has their headquarters, and and that is a regular bus stop. I mean, that is a regular bus stop. Buses go all all across the country from there. Exactly, and it can then turn right over the bridge. And there still will be a stop at Beresford Place. It's not been removed, but the main terminus to to use the word terminus will be at uh, the Ulster Bank building, which is far more accessible and safe. Yeah, and I think the other piece of information that we received uh, from. Bus Erden, which again was positive. Seemingly, they've had to tender for the for the 103 and the 105. Um, as we all know, there's been changes in, in in how bus delivery will take place around the country, and privatisation has come into place. But Bus Erden made their bid for the 103 and the 105, and they've been awarded that contract for the next five years. So that's going to give a certain stability to the development of the service, because one of the things, as you know well, know. Uh, Cahill, what we're concerned about is the increase in population in Dunshockland, in Rathos, it'll happen in Dunboyne, and indeed in Navan. So we want them to plan for a better service for the future residents, and the residents who have indeed moved in over the last couple of months into our area. So good, good news all around. Well, it was a good meeting. It was a positive meeting. I, you know, and, and tomorrow morning we could get a call that the 103 didn't turn up for the 8.30, you know. But their operational issues, which are to certainly sent outside our control as well, councillors. Nick, we, we thank you for your time this morning and we wish you a happy Christmas. We'll be back. And same to you and yours. Thank you. Oh, we'll thank be you back. very much. We'll be back after this. Michael, Michael Reed on LMFM. And you welcome back to the Michael Reed Show with me, Cahill Dervin from the Irish Sun. 086 1800 658. As always, our text line, Marie, will be back with us tomorrow, complete with the Christmas hats to read out your comments uh, on the final show of Before the Christmas Break. In the Me Chronicle on the issue date of Saturday, December the 22nd, on page 12, the headline reads, It's 5am and the rain is battering on the windows, but it's not the rain that's keeping me awake. John Donoghue's piece, this was initially published on the Me Chronicle website. 
uh, and it attracted 52,000 readers online, 1,200 shares and over 100,000 Facebook uh, interactions. The intro, as I said, it's five o'clock in the morning as I sit in front of the laptop to start writing this. The rain is battering on the windows, but it's not the rain that's keeping me awake. It's the tears in my eyes. John Donahue joins me in studio. John... In many years, association with the Me Chronicle and having gone through archives, this is one of the most powerful pieces I have read in the Me Chronicle. First of all, congratulations on that. But secondly, tell us, why did you write this piece? Um, why? Well, it, it was a, a, a tough piece, Carl. It was a tough piece to write, I suppose, and then to decide to, to go online with it. But I think at this stage, it, it's it's general knowledge that there have been at least seven suicides in County Mead alone uh, in the last month or so and this these were of uh, reported suicides were of young men into middle age 20s to 50s kind of thing some of whom you knew some of whom I knew or knew of um, and I don't want to dwell on individual cases because it's still sensitive Mm. for the families but um, just to say that the town of Trim has decided to come together to organise a darkness into light walk to raise awareness for Pieta House in on the 11th of May next, as a, a, just to, to raise awareness of both the fundraising and, and the counselling service that's available from Pieta House. There were two individual conversations that you were involved in that brought home to you just how big a problem this is. I mean, I have statistics in front of me from 2017. 79% of suicides in 2017 were men. There was more than one suicide a day in Ireland on average last year. But you had two conversations with, with men who, who you thought were living great lives and having perfectly normal lives. And then and when you started to talk to them, you discovered something different. Yeah, it, it wasn't that I, I was talking to them initially. Um, there were two lads I know that I, uh, that, as you said, had on the outset had had very successful lives and were involved in sport and business and um, families but they both of them in the last couple of weeks posted posts on Facebook outlining how that that wasn't the case and that they had been through rough patches and that um, had suffered from depression and had hit rock bottom in business and in work and um had contemplating had contemplated suicide and tell us the story of the man who took to the bed as as he put it himself yeah he um he now i will say i didn't read them a second time when i'd read them i said i i took them in and i i i i didn't feel like reading it a second mm. time um but I, I I contacted both lads and texted them and um, just expressed concern and and congratulated them kind of on bringing it out into the public as well. But he that chap um, realised that from looking at his wife and kids, it was more to life than worrying about. Um, financial problems and difficulties and the bind he found himself in at the time as did um, the second chap Eddie West who has since um, gone to put more public on the newspapers and the radio he was in here with yourselves and Eddie has been talking about how 
his business and his financial difficulties um, brought him to a, a place where he, he had been... As he said himself, I felt broke in every way imaginable. Mm. Do, do, do you do you share an empathy with people? Because you were awake at five o'clock in the morning, you were crying tears over these people, for these people. I was, well, apart from the rain battering in my Felix window, which is, had woke me in the first place. You know, when you wake early in the morning, it's difficult enough to go back to sleep, but a lot of this was on my mind as well, because um, it's... It, um, a number of reasons in recent times um, I, I was conscious of these guys I had chatted to guys who had difficulties in recent times come to terms with their sexualities and the fact that they were gay but I think when they reached they realised after chatting to their family and friends that it was a bigger thing in their own mind than in others there was lads with business problems like the two guys here money problems there could there could be other people with marriage problems addiction or abuse or relationship problems and we'd experienced suicide in our own extended family at, at home um, some years back so I was aware of what families were going through and uh, we I came across a great lad at the Mead Chronicle Business Awards recently a guy called Dan Clinton who's a personal trainer in Navin he was one of the finalists in the competition. But he stood up at a briefing uh, in AIB in Navan and explained how he got into his business. And he was extremely overweight, he was saying, and wasn't happy with himself and had lost his self-confidence. And the trigger for him setting up, leaving business and setting up his own, leaving college and setting up his own business was the suicide of a close family member, an uncle, I think he said... And um, he was a nominee at the Business Awards that night. And afterwards, there was a lot of lads there got chatting and and opened up and talked about various things. And it it was it was good to talk. But but a lot of that stuff was was playing on my mind. And I suppose my therapy is writing. So. I just said, okay, I'm going to just have to sit down and write something. And I sat down. I wasn't sleeping, so I got up and sat down in front of the laptop and started typing. And I I remember I remembered another lad I had spoke to not so long ago who was telling me that he was actually attending Pieta House himself and to go away on a bit of a tangent... Um, when your researcher when your producer Marie rang me yesterday to mm. see what I go on here I was a bit reluctant to because I feel I am maybe better at writing stuff than verbalising it and um, I, I was taking a while to decide and I got a phone call out of the blue yesterday even from this lad who I'd mentioned in the piece and he had only seen it yesterday. I presumed he'd seen it earlier mm. in the week because it was online, but he didn't see it until he went into print yesterday. And I said to him that LMFM want me to go on and talk about it. And he said straight away, he says, yeah, do, because it needs to be done. And it might help somebody else. Yes. In, in a, tell us the pressures that he was under. Tell us his story. I just... He was a, a, another lad who, to my eyes, had... The, the perfect life. The perfect life. 
but I knew I had heard on the grapevine that things weren't going that well for him and I just met him by chance again he's he's a, he's a lad I'd only see every now and then but I just met him by chance and I said how are things and he told me how things were and he opened up and what, what was his situation he'd, he'd gone through a relationship breakup mm. and didn't cope and was was attending Pieta House for counselling and had he contemplated suicide didn't go down that road mm. I, I, I was happy that he felt he was able to share with me the fact that he was att- attending counselling and that surprised you it did yeah. In terms of the pressures that men are under in the, in, in the modern world, and, and you know, you and I are both around long enough to know how, how Irish society has changed, but are there more pressures today than there were when we were growing up and you were growing up in Dunsany? Is it a different world now? Do we do we know how to cope with them? Oh, I think there are so many more pressures. I mean, you look at there's the pressures of social media, there's the pressures of um, property, the 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 property ladder has gone away from people now. That's back, yeah. The boom is back. The boom is back and we can't handle the boom. Um, the, the, the homelessness is all, issue is all growing out of that. And how do you as a young Irishman feel about all that? It's it's something that saddens me but it's hard to see how you can catch up with it again. Mm. And what can we do? I mean, what, what are you doing in your life that's going to help you cope with those pressures? I think we all need to try and not, not as I said in the piece, which is the reason why it seems to have gained such traction online. I outlined those experiences, but I also said we need to sit down and talk to each other. Um, and I, I quoted a, a sister of one of the guys who died recently and she said you know if, if this and I just and she this is this is she, she said if one of these if these men died in car crashes or some other tragic means it would be a major story and we'd be looking at ways to prevent such so deaths. if for example there had been a, a car crash in Navin the seven mm. people had died and and my point was maybe there is a way to prevent such deaths to start caring about each other more and to, to slow down for the relentless pace of life and and when you ask somebody how they are mean it and and then when someone if someone asks you to tell them as as my experience was we also need to listen though don't we we do I mean those those two people you met that particular week were lucky that you were prepared to listen and your your ears were open and that's what the chap said to me yesterday evening he said I was lucky that that I said it to you and while it mightn't have meant anything at the time, he has since said the fact that I had brought it a further level mm. by mentioning it in print, and now we're here talking about it, is is a help to him. And it, it must have surprised you that the reaction that it got, because I mean, 100,000 people involved with this story on Facebook, for example. Yeah, I went back to bed because I was a bit tired. After right, <laughs> well, at five o'clock in the morning, you probably were. But, but but when I when I got up for the second time later in the morning, I was astounded by by the reach and by the reaction and and um, 
people were sharing it and they were sharing it with the comment, if you do nothing else today, read this. Read this. Yeah. And it went, I mean, it did, it went viral, as they say. Mm. In terms, in terms of, of the reaction and, you know, do you think there are other people that you have helped now with this article? I hope so. I mean, it, it, it's, the, there's a huge reach on it um, and if, if, if even one person, I know it's a cliche, but if... It, because if those figures, I mean, person. just look at those figures again. 335 men committed suicide in Ireland in 2017. 79% one over one suicide a day on average. Yeah. You've said seven in me in the last month. I mean, are men afraid to talk? Are they afraid to look for help? Is Are they not aware of what's out there? I have no idea. I don't claim to be a psychologist mm. or an expert in it. Um, I, I think I, I think a younger generation may be more prepared to talk. I, I think maybe it is... And maybe we should use the social media that they're all so familiar yeah. with as a tool to help them yeah. going forward. I mean, I mean, this is one of the this is one of the positives of social media: the fact that it, it it's gone so viral. There is, we should say, by the way, there's a vigil in Drogheda uh, at St Peter's, the steps of St Peter's uh, Church, tomorrow night from half six to half nine. The Samaritans are holding this, and this is to raise awareness for male suicide. If there is a young man out there, John, who's read your piece online or read it in the Me Chronicle or has heard you in in studio with us this morning. What is your message to them? Oh, my message is just talk to somebody, get it out there. Even even if it's if it's friends, it can be family, it can be some of the helplines. There are numerous organisations out there, um, from from Pieta to Samaritans to Aware, the Childline for younger people. There are numerous organisations out there. Do you feel better about yourself having written this? I do, and it's 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 probably not about me. But at the end of the day, the, it was my piece, and I'm glad that that it has got the reaction. If you were lucky, you you had the vehicle yeah. to air these these thoughts. Yeah. There's a wonderful finish to the article because, I mean, as, as you say, you, you you wrote at the very start that it was raining and, and you were awake and the the rain was lashing off the Velux window. But at the very end, you say, maybe there is a way to prevent such deaths, start caring about each other much more, slow down from the relentless pace of life, ask somebody how they are and mean it. And when somebody asks you, tell them, don't bottle it up, don't wait to be asked, talk about it. If not someone close to you, then to Pieta House, to So Sad or to Samaritans. You say it's easier said than done, but it will end the torture in a positive way. The rain has stopped. Has the rain stopped for you? Hopefully. Mm. And you think that you can help and this can help the rain for everybody else yeah. go away. Yeah. You mentioned the Samaritans and you mentioned Pieta House. The Pieta House helpline is open 24 hours a day, 1-800-247-247 or you can text HELP to 51444, that's 51444. The Samaritans, 24 hour a day, 365 days a year, 116123 is their number from the Republic of Ireland. So sad. Also have a 24-hour emergency helpline number 24-7 hours, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And they have offices in Drogheda, Navan, Cavan, Dundalk, Carrigan Cross and Tullamore. And you can find all details on that at sosadireland.ie. Facebook and Twitter has reacted brilliantly to your article we wish you well John it was a very brave piece to write it was a very powerful piece to write and we thank you for that and I'm sure so many people will we'll be back tomorrow with the final show before Christmas thank you for listening thanks to Chris to Marie and to Ross we'll see you tomorrow 
The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie.